This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 99. And the quote of the day is, Evaluate the people in your life, then promote, demote, or terminate. You're the CEO of your life. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and this session is brought to you by Boso Bamboo Drumsticks, the world's first full line of bamboo drumsticks. Check them out at bosodrumsticks.com and use the promo code PODCAST to save yourself 15% on your entire order. That's bosodrumsticks.com. The interview that I have today is Yost Nickel, and I'm so excited about this, and mainly because I love that he has this unorthodox style of of grooving and being able to sort of feel like the groove is speeding up and slowing down uh, through, you know, metric modulation and things like that, but it still holds its musicality. And that's like one of the huge things that, that attracted me to his playing. Uh, plus he's just, you know, he's a super cool guy, but just a ter- terrific player and uh, just really happy to have him on the show. And I know a lot of people have been asking me to get him on the show. So I'm super excited to have him on the show. Also, the next podcast that comes out is going to be the 100th episode. So I'm going to be doing a giveaway where there's going to be all kinds of stuff that you can win, uh, all types of gear from all of my endorsement companies and all of that, which is super nice of those guys to do. So be sure to check out the 100th episode with blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's definitely a good episode. So uh, stick, check around, you know, stick around for that one. I can't talk. And let me get into this interview. Mr. Yost Nickel. Yost, what's going on, man? Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, man. We've been talking about this for, I think, nearly two years, maybe three. <laughs> I, think, I think so. Uh, and I've been emailing you. And then, but but now. And, know, I don't, and I don't respond. And Yeah, you did. You did. <laughs> but I didn't, I guess. I don't know. But you, we were sending each other emails like, yeah, you know how it is. Yeah, you know how it is. I'm right. really sorry. I'm really sorry. But now we're here. That's great. The mutual, the mutual blowing each other off. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, um, I'm glad that we got it. I'm glad that we got it hooked up, man. I know that you're busy. Uh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make it any easier that you're on the other side of the country or on the other side of the world. So, right. But here we are. Uh, so thank you for doing it, man. Like I said, I know that you're, you're extremely busy, so it's, it's an honor to have you on the show. So thank you. Yeah. And, um, I'm glad to be here. Cool. So, yeah. So I always like to get a bit of backstory about the people that I have on the show and especially for you, since you're, you're not from the state. So not that, not that the listeners don't know who you are and if they don't shame on them because you're, (laughs) you're blazing a path out there right now. Uh, but just tell the listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's a long story. I try to make it short. Um, we have time, so. Yeah, but you know, I don't want to bar anybody. So people are like, yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) My name is Jos Nickel. I'm a drummer and a comedian. No, I'm not. I'm a drummer. (laughs) And um, actually, you know, I started out like everybody, I guess. You know, I, I, start, I wanted to play drums. My mother got me a drum kit. Then she said, yeah, you should take lessons. And I was like, yeah, great. Let, let me take lessons. And then when I finished school, um, I didn't really know what to do because, you know, I wanted to be a drummer and make money playing drums. So being a professional drummer. But um, 
I had no clue how this works. So again, my mother had a really, really good um, suggestions. He said, yeah, maybe you should go to America because people who want to study classical music, they come to Germany because Germany has, you know, invented large parts of the classical music. Right. But if you want to study drums, maybe you should go to America because my feeling is that in America, the instrument has been developed and, um, you know, brought to a new standard. So that was a really bright idea. And then I um, decided to, you know, she said, yeah, well, make a choice. I don't know which schools are good, but um, I, you know, I was drawn towards Drummers Collective in New York. Right. So I don't know why. I could have gone to PIT, I guess, mm -hmm. but I just felt like I want to go to New York. I, I really can't tell you why. It was just a feeling. And then I went to New York and, and, that, and I, I had a blast. It was, it was tough and great at the same time. How long were you here? Only 10 weeks. Ten it weeks. was called 10-week certificate. And I was in New York longer than 10 weeks, but, but the 10-week uh, right. yeah. And it was the longest 10 weeks I ever had in my life because, you know, it was, like I said, tough and inspiring at the same time. After the first week, I wanted to go home because um, they kept throwing stuff at us that we couldn't do. Right. It seemed to be easy, but what things that weren't easy. And, uh, but then I, you know, I changed my per perspective because I felt like, yeah, I'm here to really learn stuff. And um, so after this first week, I was really glad about everything they threw at us because uh, that I couldn't do because um, that way the learning experience was so much better. Right. And yeah, when I came back to Germany, like the decision was clear. I want. I really knew I wanted to. Do, I wanted to do this, and I knew I had enough energy and enough enthusiasm in me to to be able to do this because. I felt like I wanted to play drums the whole day, right? basically. And um, I think you have to has, have a certain period in your life where you, you know, think about nothing else and just play and practice and get gigs and get better. And yeah, and then I moved to where I live now, which is in Hamburg, Germany. And since then I'm working professionally as a drummer. Right. So it, it worked out. You know, in Germany, we knock on wood. I guess you do the same, like three times. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I do that now, just to be sure. Yeah. So how old were you when you started playing, and how old were you when you came to the States for the 10-week certificate? I started playing when I was 10 years old, and I came to New York when I was 21. Okay. So now, so, e even at that, when you were 21, were you already yeah. really heavily entrenched in playing? Like, were you... Or was, was coming to New York kind of the, the thing that got you to say, all right, I'm going to really take this stuff seriously and really dive into this? No, I, t I really took it seriously before that. But, you know, I didn't, I just didn't know some aspects of drumming that they wanted us to cover. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, technically I was, I think, quite good, you know, really, yeah. Um, it was more about feel and different styles and timing and not so much about technique or technical aspects of playing it was more about these uh, different different feels to to make them work mm -hmm. so it was really interesting um yeah you know when i listen back to how i played then i really feel good about it right because it has a lot of energy and 
craziness. Uh, when I listened to myself when I was younger, uh, I heard I only heard the mistakes, right? Mm -hmm. When you listen to yourself, most of the time you only hear the mistakes and not the good parts. And but you no, know, yeah, I'm fine with how I was. Right, I have to say, yeah. So what I always I always like to try to figure out where the inspiration was coming from and sort of what what road you went down to get, you know, even to to the point where you were 21 years old, like what kind of stuff you were listening to and if you remember and what kind of stuff you yeah. were practicing, because I think that that paints a better picture of, you know, maybe someone listens to your playing and they say, oh, the, where he really got some of this stuff is yeah. because he was doing this other stuff when he was younger. All right, I have to say I had, a, I had a really good private teacher before I went to New York in, in the town I lived back then, which was uh, Kiel. Uh, you don't know about it, and it's okay. And the teacher was called Peter Weise, and he um, he introduced me to, to many great drummers that I didn't know of back then. And the first one uh, was Steve Gadd. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Never heard and of him. <laughs> Before that, I didn't. No, I was just saying. To now, I was like, never heard. Uh, you know, of him. <laughs> no, I, I haven't heard of him. Well, he's cool. He's kind of cool, you know. I, I guess. Actually, I guess. And, I guess. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to see a concert next week uh, where he's playing. Really? In Ham yeah, he's in Germany. Yeah, in Hamburg. He's, awesome. He's coming to Hamburg with uh, James Taylor. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, Steve Gadd was the first one. And interestingly, I wasn't really listening to what Steve Gadd played because I had this book of uh, Steve Gadd transcriptions. Mm -hmm. And we were practicing the grooves that this guy from Sweden, Hans Fagt, I think is his name, transcribed. And I, I really liked the patterns so much that um, after I played them, I, I, tr I started listening to Steve Gadd. But you know, I first saw the written music and, right. and practiced that, and then I started listening to them, hmm. which was interesting because. Do you I remember what it was? What exactly? Yeah. I think the first um, CD was uh, El Jero, This Time. Nice. It's a great record. And that's, yeah, it's, and up to this day, it's, it's a brilliant record. And mm -hmm. the, his version of Spain and everything, it's, it's a classic. And then I discovered um, the police, and through the police, I discovered Sting's solo career. And mm. the first drummer that I really liked with Sting was Omar Hakim. Yep. And I still love uh, the two records they made together. It's it's great. It's, it's so good. And then you know, I, what was I stuck the with, yeah. what was the one? Uh, what was it? Mercury falling. Yeah. That's such a great record. Interestingly, I have to I have to admit. Uh, the first record with uh, I, I really uh, know a lot about Sting because I was a big fan. Mm -hmm. um, Ten Simona's Tales. That was the first record with Vinnie Colaiuta on them yep. on on it. And I loved this CD so much that I never really liked Mercury Falling so much. Really? I think it's okay. <laughs> I have to. Admit, <laughs> it's still for me. Yeah, it's you know. But I, I remember the moment when I listened to Mercury Falling for the first time. I was on the train and I put on my, my Discman and I and I was disappointed. Really? Yeah. Huh. I, it's just a feeling, you know. It's, it's it's emotion. I was disappointed because I think the Ten Samolas Tales album the CD was so 
had such an impact on me that, mm -hmm. you know, it couldn't be any better than that. Right, right, right. That makes but sense. But I know many, and I've talked about, because you said it, that you have interviewed Benny Grab, mm -hmm. and he's living in Hamburg too, and we talked right. about that too, and I told him, no, Mercury Falling doesn't, doesn't work for me because he's into Mercury Falling too. Oh, is he? Yeah, but I'm like, I don't know. Well, at it's least good, at least Benny Greb's on my side. At least I got somebody in my corner. <laughs> well, it's not it's not that I'm saying you're stupid. <laughs> no, I at least not because of that. Right um, of other <laughs> things that I've done. I'll, yeah, other don't, things. The inter the interview's still early, so the I'll do plenty of things later in the interview that you're going to be like <laughs> right. he, he's stupid. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, for me, yeah, Ten Samolas Tales was the CD I liked the most mm -hmm. with Vinicolito. So you're listening. Yeah. So you're listening to all that stuff. So you started getting into, you know, Steve Gadd and then the Sting stuff, and then so where'd you go from there? Um, my teacher introduced me to the Dave Weckl, the first Dave Weckl play along, which is called Temporary Drummer Minus One, I think, the first one. Mm, I, I don't. Know, I uh, forget the name of it. Is it that? Yeah, the one with Island Magic and Garden Wall. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah, and uh, through that, I discovered Dave Weckl, and I was a huge, huge Dave Weckl fan for like um, two or three years. Mm -hmm. Like huge man, I dreamt about Dave Weckl. I was like a big fan when I was eighteen or nineteen years old, and I remember one drama festival. I was in the audience, and somebody tapped my shoulder. And I turned around and it was Dave Weckl. <laughs> I took his view. I blocked his view. He's like, get out of the way, man. <laughs> no, he was really friendly. And, uh, and my heart started bumping because I was such a big fan. I right. didn't say anything. You didn't you know, say anything? No, I no. couldn't. And that, that phase lasted for like two or three years. And um, then I decided not to be a Dave Weckl like such a big fan anymore because I saw him play a show with the Brecker brothers mm -hmm. and there were, were a few more things I understood of uh, how he was doing certain things. And then I said to myself, no, I don't want to do that right? because I don't want to sound too much like him. You know, I love his playing, but I don't want to sound too much like him. Right. And one drummer I really liked too was um, Dennis Chambers mm. or yeah. his pocket and his groove and his energy. And yeah. Yeah. It's hard not to like him. Yeah, yeah. I never really liked his sound so much, but, right. you know, the pocket blue. And Steve Jordan is another guy I really liked. And Manu, Manu Kaché, the you know, the French? Yeah, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Sure, everybody knows him. Yeah, these are many already. That's many good. Drummers. That's good. Yeah. So now what kind of stuff were you practicing? I always, I always love to hear people's practice routines, and I know yeah. I get so many emails from people that are like, what should I practice? And I'm like, ah, whatever you need to work on. But I always like to hear right. other people's practice. Because some people are really strict with their practicing. Like Thomas Lang is like, I wrote every single thing down, every single yeah. minute of my practice time. And then somebody like Jojo Mayer was kind of just like, ah, I just practice when, you know, when it strikes <laughs> me and I practice whatever yeah. I want. So um, that's, that's, that, I have to divide that answer into two maybe because there's the pre-New York time and the after I came back from New York time because that changed my practicing a lot. Um, before I went to New York, I, um, my drum teacher was responsible for, for me practicing different things. So I always worked on my snare technique uh, through uh, Charles Wilcoxon, mm -hmm. you know, just playing snare uh, 
snare drum. Yeah, I just um, I was just working out that book today, actually, this morning. Rolling, yeah, rolling through what's it? Rolling through rhythm or rolling? I think the one I worked out of uh, out of the most was All American Drummer. Okay, that's still you know I still I had fun doing that, and and it obviously it's good for your technique. And then we we um, always worked on grooves, which was. Uh, like I said earlier, the Steve Gadd book, for example, or Advanced uh, Advanced Funk Drummers, mm-hmm. Funk Drumming, sorry, by Rick Latham. Yep. Or uh, Future Sounds by David Garibaldi. This stuff, I really like that. All these books, and we always did play-alongs, and through that we did different styles of music. So that was like three parts I always practiced, and. Right. And early on, I decided to 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 um, really play a few exercises where you only like for two minutes. You want to be fast with this, right? You want right. to be able to play that fast. So you know, I just decided. Oh, well, if you want to play it fast, you should, and you have to play it. You have to play it for a certain period of time because the song is not only ten seconds, right? It's, <laughs> it's three minutes or maybe four or five. So I, I uh, did these, what's the, what's the word in English? Um, stamina? Mm-hmm. stamina? Stamina, yeah. Yeah, stamina exercises since I was 16 or 17. I really did a lot of that. And when I came back from New York, you know, it was more like um, working on things that, you know, I stopped playing things that I loved playing and that I could always already play well. And I only worked on things that I couldn't do. Right. Because I discovered there were so many. (laughs) Um, And so, and what I liked about my experience in New York, that is that I was being offered so many systems, how to develop your own stuff, your own fills, your own grooves, your own repertoire. Mm -hmm. And since then I, you know, I have like a pile like this, this big, I guess, with exercises that I wrote out for myself mm-hmm. about fills and grooves. So, you know, it was more like I was making up my own exercises since then. And I, I wanted to focus on different playing styles, which was very important to me, being able to play big band, Latin, rock, jazz, and so on. And I really focused on tempos. I didn't feel comfortable with I got you that's, whether that's, it's slow fast whatever just whatever tempo you don't feel comfortable playing mm-hmm. and I still up to this day when I practice I play many exercises and tempos that I you know there's other tempos where I play, uh, feel more comfortable playing these exercises but I always choose tempos that don't feel comfortable right Right. And through this, I improve in these tempos. That's really interesting. The me. funny thing is, is people don't realize how hard it is to play something slow. You right. Know? Or you can play yeah. it fast. You're like, well, play it slower. And it's like, oh, I can obviously play it slower. And then you start to do it. And you're like, man, there's a lot of space between these notes. <laughs> right. And all of a sudden, it sounds, sounds, you know, you get insecure when right. to play these notes. Yeah. This, mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe that answers the question. Now, you mentioned... Uh, you mentioned tempo, which is a good segue into the next question that I want to ask about your mm-hmm. your style and the way that you the way that you play that you seem like you seemingly speed up the tempo and slow down the tempo 
but you're not slowing down the tempo or speeding it up. You're, you know, through like modulation and, you know, through metric modulation and all that stuff. Um, so because a lot of people do that, but don't do it well, but you do it and you do it really, really well. And it always sounds really, really, really musical, which is awesome to me. So I want to talk about that and I want to like get inside that a little bit and sort of talk about your approach to how you develop that style and how, you know, other people can work on that stuff and, and keep the musicality of it. Okay. To me, um, that was since, since I was in New York, um, they were so, um, they weren't afraid of numbers there because they, they said you should be really aware of polyrhythms and cross rhythms. That's what they called it. Right. Um, and, um, I was totally, you know, it made sense to me because, um, I wanted to be a drummer, so I felt like, well, I don't have to really know about harmony and melody because I'm not playing harmony and melody, right. but I have to be, I have to know about rhythm. So I really wanted to, to be able to hear all the possible polyrhythms and cross rhythms in my head before I play them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's a very, you have to be able to do that before you play something, you have to be able to hear it. Because if you don't hear it, you have no real, um, what's the word? Mm. Like a foundation or starting point, yeah. reference? Yeah, you have no, you know, you have no idea of how it sounds, mm-hmm. right? You have to have an idea of how it sounds. And the same goes for, for the, the stuff you talked about. So I work on ideas so, you know, as long as it takes me to, to hear them in my head before I play them. Mm-hmm. And that really made sense to me. And, and, and I really like um, working on my perception of rhythm. Right. So this, be, this could be the most obvious thing. This is quarter notes, right? Right. Uh, but it could be one, two, three, four, off beats. And it could be one, two, three, one, two, three. It could be dotted, uh, dotted quarter notes. No, dot, dotted eighth notes as well. Mm-hmm. And it could be so much more. So that was really fascinating for me. So I tried to hear all possibilities of what a quarter note could also be. Just, you know, when you change the metronome, mm-hmm. that's too... I'm, <laughs> it's, is it too complicated what I'm talking about now? No. Nick, are you falling? Why are you falling asleep, Nick? (laughs) (laughs) Hello, are you there? Are you there? (laughs) No, I think. No, um, this is this is fascinating to me, man. Because every time I watch you play, I'm trying to determine not uh, not that I'm not following it, but I want to kind of figure out what you're hearing and where you're at with everything. You know what I mean? So, no, this is this is fascinating, man. I'm, I'm digging this. Most of the time when I play solos, the quarter note stays where it start where the solo started. Mm-hmm. You know, if I start here, no matter what I play, the quarter note stays there most of the time. There's certain, sometimes I change the tempo in a solo, but then I will change it for a longer period so you're you're hear it, hear that. Right. right. And um, I like the speeding up and slowing down effect a lot. Right. You know, it's it's just something I, you know, I I came up with it or I I, I became I it was just through um playing triplets, you know, 
Yeah, triplets. Everybody knows triplets. One. Can you hear that? Yeah. One, two, three, four. I played them right, left, left. Right, left, left. One, two, three, four, one. And then I, I thought, well, groups of three in 16th notes, you can play them with the same sticking, right, left, left. That's one, two, three, one, two, three. Or you do it in four, four, then it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. And then I thought, well, if you play, and that's really theoretical, but I like, you know, I like talking, I, I like thinking about rhythmic ideas, and then I try them on the kit, and if they don't so sound good, I throw them away, but something, so, most of the time it sounds good. So I just um, alternated between triplets and groups of three, using the same sticking all the time. Right. Like, um, one, two, three, four. Right. Like this. And this is how it started. And then I, you know, I I I started using more complicated sticking patterns with the mm -hmm. same idea. And then I started uh, using different groups of notes. What the the general idea is to use the same sticking or the same to use the same sticking and then just change the subdivision right. while you play the sticking. Mm -hmm. And the more you get into it, the, the the more complex it becomes. Right. Obviously. Right. And it gets a little it gets a little dangerous though too because like there's one a lot of stuff that I do is based off this uh, four note grouping, three note subdivision kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and I'll like you know I'll I'll play it and I got it like I got it down pretty well, but yeah. like if you start messing around with that stuff on the gig and. Yeah. You know, you don't know it very well, or it sounds too mechanical. Then it like yeah. everything just starts falling apart. You know, that's true. So, I always make yeah. When I play stuff like this, I always make sure that I'm still able to follow the band mm -hmm. while I play it. Right. Because I want to make sure that I'm in sync with the music, and no matter what I play, I'm you know, I'm no matter how complicated. It is what I play. I always sync it to the music because, uh, like, I can't expect the band to just follow me. I follow them as well. So right. that's when it becomes uh, one. And um, so when I, you know, you start with an easier phrase, but you make sure that you hear the pulse, the, the, the quarter note pulse all the time. Right, you're right. able to hear it. Mm -hmm. you, if you ever lose it, you have to work on your ability to hear like i said before your ability to hear that polyrhythm or that cross rhythm mm -hmm. just work on it further and it, it'll become second nature right right and then how did you how do you what's your advice for making it start to sound musical because anybody can get those patterns down and just right play them all over the place mm, i always take the perspective of my band members or even if i play alone i want to and maybe that's the key. I want to make it sound easy. And I, I make it sound easy by accenting, even if I play groups of seven in, let's say, 30 second notes, I'll play accent that make, accents that make, make uh, it easy for the listener to follow me. Mm -hmm. uh, so um, that's hard to explain without a drum kit, but... 
No, I get what you, I mean. I get what you're you know, saying, though. When sure. you play groups of five, right, left, right, left, left, and you every second time you come around, you accent the left hand, and it sounds like this: one. play without the accent one two three then it sounds like this and this comes straight out out of a drum book or a university or this is kind of you know that's like oh well he knows how to play groups of five right. but when you start accenting the left hand every second time then you the accent is going to be on like the eighth note grid would mm -hmm. make which makes it easy for the listener to follow you. Sure. And it makes it easy for your band members to understand what you do and it makes it more musical. Right, right. You okay. know, I always try to make even the complicated stuff to make it kind of easy to listen to. Mm -hmm. Easier, at least. Right. That makes total sense. Okay, so, great. <laughs> so now let's let's talk about this book uh, that you that you just yeah. released. And it's called The Groove Book. Uh, by the way... You got it right there. Okay. Yeah. Yost Nichols Groove Book. And right. so now, was it out before and it just got released in the States? Right. It was out before in, in German. Okay. Because, you know, my plan was to release it in the States from, from the beginning, but then I approached Alfred Publishing and they said, um, we have to release it in German first and because it was released through Germany and yeah you know and then they said yeah, a year later we can re re release it in English awesome. and now it's available in English yeah perfect so now if you so we're going to give away a copy of uh, a couple copies of this book so if anybody's interested in winning it just go to drummersresource.com forward slash groove g-r-o-o-v-e and there'll be a link there where you can uh you can enter to win a copy of this book so let's talk about this book because i'm sure that it has a lot of these concepts and stuff that you you're mentioning as well yeah um okay. well the thing is I talked, we talked about what I liked doing when I was younger and I really liked the books like, like I said, Advanced Funk Drumming or uh, Future Sounds by David Garibaldi and, I, and the Steve Gadd transcription book. So I always enjoyed playing great sounding grooves. So my first, I was interested, interested in writing a book or, or my plan was to write a book where everything in the book sounds good. So it's not about, you know, endless possibilities of combining hi-hat ostinatos with snare drum uh, patterns. It's more a book where I really think that everything sounds good. So it's it's fun to play what's, what's in the book. And I think you, you'll only practice and play what you like doing. Because sure. in the end, you won't, you know, just you just won't play stuff that you don't like mm. because it's, it's no fun. Right. So it aims at the enthusiasm that drummers have for good sounding grooves. And but I wanted to take it one step step be, beyond because I wanted to show how I came up with these patterns and not only great patterns, but how I came up with them. And so there's large parts of the book are about. Um, 
showing the, the student or the reader to, uh, easy steps to develop own grooves. Like oh, for, cool. uh, for example, to develop own ghost note patterns for grooves that work for any groove that you can imagine. Or developing own linear grooves. Or um, I have some really good sounding orchestration ideas that work on any groove um, that I call the split and the switch, which I can't really demonstrate now, but they sound really good. And then the last chapter of the book should have been the first, but yeah, the thing I put it last was because it's it's like the most important chapter because it's about time feel, it's about timing, it's about improving your time, mm -hmm. it's about working with a click or uh, in a practice room and working with a click live, the pros and cons on, uh, about working uh, with a click. But uh, this chapter has the most text, you know, and right, right, right. drummers, they don't really want to read. They scan right over that. <laughs> right. That's what I did when I was younger. So I figured I give the drummers the most fun parts in the beginning. And then when they work through the book, they realize, well, this has been a good, a great book and it was fun. And I learned a lot. Then they might right. read what's at the end, which is really important, I think. Mm hmm but, um, uh, you know, the last chapter is like text. It's so much text. So, yeah, have to, it's more like a novel, maybe, about, uh, let me see. Well, you can read it now, but right. you normally oh, shouldn't yeah, do yeah. this. <laughs> you shouldn't do that in a drum book. So that's why this is the last chapter. It's called Timing, Groove, and Philosophy. I got you. Playing live with a click, tempo and adrenaline, which is a, an issue for drummers. The right life tempo, and then there's exercises and anecdotes that I had to <laughs> go through uh, on stage. Um, so yeah, and there's cool go-go beats. Many ideas how to how to alter groups that you already play mm -hmm. and get the most out of them. But overall, it's a fun experience. That's what I. Fun experience, fun learning experience. Nice. Yeah. So now you were talking about uh, uh, time and adrenaline. You're saying that I guess people's time gets all screwed up when their adrenaline gets pumping. Yeah, that's that's definitely. I you know that's something. When you think about, well, it's hard. No, it's not hard to talk about it, but I want to get it across right. Uh, when you think about what you want as a drummer, what you want from a bass player, you play with. Um, I guess one of the more, you know, one of the first answers will be, I want them to feel, you know, when they play, I want to feel good about their playing. Right. And, um, then, you know, it's like things like they need to have good time. They need to have a good sound. Um, they need to have a good groove and a great feel. And I guess not so many drummers would say about play bass players. I want them to play really fast. Right. Right? Sure. I want them to play all the time. That's something nobody says. And the same, and when you think about what do bass players want from drummers, it's the same. You know? It's about good feel and good time. And when you start to make everybody in the band feel good and secure about what you're doing, then, then you're a good drummer, in my, in my opinion. Sure. And all the rest, the interesting solos 
and the, the Great Lakes that comes on top. If it comes on, comes on top, it's great. But, you know, there's so many hardworking drummers out there. Like, like you said, John Robinson, he's not a solo player. Right. You know, he's, his pocket is so good, but he, he's never, I've never he heard him play a solo. Mm -mm. And, but he's, he's played on so many great records. So I think Jeff Percaro said that he never, yeah. he said he never remembers ever doing a solo ever. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, you so, know, that he was, yeah. What was the question again? Uh, oh, we were talking about time and adrenaline. Right. And uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so, and, 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 and so I talk to everybody, everybody, every drama I meet about their feelings towards, you know, what happens to you when you play live. And, the. Uh, I talked to Ricky Lawson about it, who was you left, who left us. But uh, um, I asked him, "Hey, Ricky, when you play with Michael Jackson and there's like 60,000 60, people in the arena and you're playing with a click track, don't you feel that the song is slower when you play live than when you rehearse the song?" Right. Because the tempo is, you know, obviously the same. They're playing along with the click track, and he's like, "Yes, I feel it slower." Hmm. so what do you do Ricky and he said well I take a deep breath and what this tells me is that everybody knows that you know has a different perception of tempo when they have you know when the adrenaline kicks in sure you feel like the tempo that is the same all the time because it's it's synced to a, so, to a computer is slower and the same happens when you don't play it to a click track mm -hmm. because you 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 might count in the tempo too fast and then the whole song is too fast and uh, what i do is or i listen to uh, shows that I, i you know i tape most of the shows i play right. and then i listen back to them and like a day later and then i still know what the feeling was and i maybe Maybe I felt like, wow, this tempo is great. But then you, when you listen back to it, it might be too slow or too fast. And so next time, you know, oh, I have to hold back a little or speed it up a little. Mm -hmm. So that, that way you get used to your feeling about tempo under the influence of adrenaline. Sure. Now, are you, when you play live, do you mostly play with a click or not with that one? No, no, no click. Only if it's necessary because of, you know, by maybe you're, we're playing along with loops or maybe there's other reasons because the musical director wants me to play with a click track. Right. Um, but if I don't have to play, uh, don't have to play along with computers and nobody wants me to use a click track, I prefer not to use a click track because I want to be responsible for the time. Sure. And this, you know, it happens that then I play certain songs too fast, but, um, Most of the time, I only notice. The rest of the band doesn't notice because they also have the adrenaline. Kick, right? <laughs> yeah. So when I talk, yeah, to, you're all on the same boat. <laughs> yeah. So I talked to I talked to what's his name again? Uh, Jack Bruno. You know Jack Bruno, the drummer who who played like for Tina Turner for the longest time for 25 years, and he played with Joe Cocker as well. And I I talked to him and he I I asked him what it was like to play with Tina Turner, and he told me well Tina. She wanted to play each song every night a little faster than the night before. Right. I was like, yeah, but then when you play a tour with uh, 60 or 70 shows, at the end you have a ridiculous tempo, right? <laughs> and he was like, yeah, yeah, it's hard. And I try to not play them too fast, but while we are playing the songs, she had a certain 
kind of movement. And then uh, she, he knew she wanted it faster again. Right, right. So that's, you know, some artists do want the songs really fast live. Some don't. You have to find out who, you, who you're working for. Right. And I prefer to play songs in a tempo that sound good when you play them back on a recording. Mm-hmm. I mean, Man, some of that James Brown stuff was like right. burning fast. Too fast for my taste. Yeah, me too. I mean, some of it was just like, I, I mean, it, it's still grooved, you know, like it's sort of. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, you know, you can't say anything bad about James Brown. Right, right. But still, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would just rather hear it a little bit, you know, like, whether it was Jabo playing or or, um, right. or uh, Clyde, well, I don't know why I couldn't think of his name. Yeah. Uh, whether it was either one of those guys playing, I mean, it's burning, but I'm kind of like, man, maybe they should just slow it down a little bit just to make yeah. it groove a little bit harder. You know, it's hard to groove at that speed. Yeah, and I, I'm sure it was the same sensation. Mm-hmm. Just James wanted it fast, and so they had to play it fast. Right, 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 right. End of story. Yep. <laughs> and then you can, you know... You either do what the artist wants or you leave the band. Yep. That's nothing else you can do. Yeah, well, you're not, you're not going to argue with James Brown either, you know? No, I <laughs> guess not. And still, it's, a, it's, it's about when you play with an artist and you're just, you're just a backup band, mm-hmm. then it's about pleasing what he wants, uh, pleasing him, right? It's right, about, right. And if it's a good relationship, you can talk to him about tempos and, or her about tempos and your feeling about... Um, how the show should be, and then it's a great working relationship. And right. it might not be a good relationship, and it might be like, you play that fast, motherfucker, and that's it. Right, right. You know? Yep. You never know. Yeah. As, long as, I'm write, as long as I'm writing the checks, then you play as fast as I want you to. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then you might not feel so good about it. But right. Yeah. That makes sense. So, so, so just to close this, Jack Bruno, the guy uh, who's a great, great sonic drummer, he said, I asked him, so what did you do when Tina wanted the songs faster? He said, well, I played them faster. Right. He yeah. worked for her for 25 years, so it made sense. Right. She yeah. says go faster and I go faster. Right. Yep. <laughs> Easy. Yeah. <laughs> so now let's talk about some of the, some of the current work that you're, that you're working on mm-hmm. and who you're touring with and, and all that fun stuff. Yeah, that's... There's an artist that you won't know. It's he's called Jan Delay, and the band is called Disco Number One, and it's it's uh, a band I play with for like eight years now, and it's it feels like a uh, like I won the lottery because this is a working relationship where he's a big star in, in Germany and Switzerland and Austria and, and other parts of Europe, and but he's such a you know he has such a respectful way of treating the musicians. He's hiring mm-hmm. that it's a great relationship because um, with him I can talk about tempos and I can talk about the set list and he he will listen but in the end he will decide the way he wants it but um, I have you know I can take part in musical decisions sure. and I am playing on his CDs which is not always the case when you're playing live with somebody and I'm even even writing songs with a band for him so that's a great working relationship and that is my main gig mm-hmm. other than that i uh i love doing the drum stuff like the drum clinics or uh, going to online uh to, to mike johnson for example or drumio that might happen later this year 
And um, the other thing I do, I have a band with Barry Finity, who's living, who's a guitar player who lives in San Francisco, who used to play with all the great cats like the Brecker Brothers and Miles Davis and the Crusaders and all these guys. And I met him a few years back and um, we have a band together and we recorded a CD that I co-produced and we're going to play a tour in May in Germany and we're hoping to come to the States too. Cool. So that's another thing I like doing. And apart from that, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a session player. Mm -hmm. So I play studio and I have my own studio where I can, where I can record songs for artists that need live drums. Mm -hmm. Some do, some do, but not many, right. some do need live drums. And, um, or I play, you know, one-off gigs with certain bands. So I, I feel happy about what I'm doing. You should. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good. You know, I'm not playing with any like, really, really big-time international, internationally known artists like, I don't know, who could that be? Who would you want to play with, Nick? Hmm. If you had, if you could just choose one. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably play with, Bruno Mars or John Mayer, somebody like that. Yeah, yeah. Bruno Mars, Bruno Man. Mars, Otto Mayer. Yeah, both of them I really like. Yeah, Bruno Mars seems to see. I don't, you don't never know, but it seems to be like he seems to be. Uh, he is a great singer, obviously, and right. a great artist. But he seems to have a great connection to his musicians on stage. Well, his drummer is his brother, Eric. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, um, so Eric is his is his drummer and then another guy that always plays with them are guy like one of the guys is with the they own a songwriting uh production company together so they've been writing tunes for years um okay. do you remember that CeeLo green song that fuck yeah. you song so he what? <laughs> no. yeah. so he wrote that song okay okay yeah, yeah. so he but. did like all these he was writing for a while and uh you know they were just like playing in la they were just like a band, you know, a lot of the right. same, a lot of, not all the same guys, but a lot of the same guys. And then they just, you know, got bigger and, and bigger. And then, you know, he became a smash hit, but like I went, uh, Eric invited me down to see him in, um, in New Jersey and man, it was like one of the best shows I've seen yeah. in a long time. It was, it was like watching James Brown and Michael Jackson in one with and maybe Prince and maybe Prince. Yeah. Yeah. And with like earth, wind and fire as the backing band. <laughs> Yeah, like it was, it was pretty insane. I agree. I agree. On on a big scale, like a pop gig scale, I would probably choose one of these two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And John plus, Mayer's, I like all the stuff that John Mayer did with Steve Jordan. So that kind of, you know. Yeah. I. Me too. Me too. Definitely. So. Okay. So I say Bruno Mars and John Mayer to answer your question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, so I would. Uh, <laughs> Now I don't Why have anyone. Laughing, to man? What's that? What? Why are you laughing, man? <laughs> man, he's laughing at me. We're so, doing an interview and he's laughing at me. Who's this guy anyway? Yeah, sorry. So who would, I was uh, talking to a manager right now. He's oh, sitting next to me. He's you can't see him. He's, he's, he's going really small. He's going to cut it off. Yeah. He's a really small guy, but he's he's very aggressive. So if you had the international gig, the huge international gig, who yeah. would it be? Yeah, like like you said, Bruno Mars is something somebody I, I really like. Um, John Mayer too, and then I don't know. It's hard, you know. Yeah, it, and it, it's about making life choices as well. It's not only about being a musician and being a drummer because 
I like I like the way I live. So I don't right. really know if I want to be away from home for one and a half or two years. Mm-hmm. Man, my know. my buddy Brian plays for Justin Timberlake, Brian Fraser Moore, and he he was like on tour for two and a half years, gets home and then goes right back out with Madonna. I saw him. You know? I, in fact, we opened up, opened up uh, for Christina Aguilera mm-hmm. and Brian was playing drums on that tour. Okay. And now, I don't know if I should say that, but yeah, this uh, witnessing this tour, this Christina Aguilera tour really changed my way of looking on, uh, at these tours because I felt like the vibe in the band wasn't really good because the band was great or the vibe, I, no, I was wrong. The vibe between Christina Aguilera and the band was really happening, you know, because mm-hmm. everybody in the band said, well, this show is not about music, it's about dance. And I'm right. like, well, I should be about music. And so I felt, I don't know, I felt like, I don't know if this is true, but I felt like they didn't really enjoy playing for her because she was really connecting with them. Hmm. That makes sense. I don't know. You know, so, a lot of that stuff is just playing parts. I'm sure, you know, the, yeah. the Justin Timberlake gig is different than the, I'm than sure. the Christine Aguilera yeah. gig, you know? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure about that too. So yeah, hmm. Justin Timberlake would be would be great too definitely i heard so many good things about his recent tour so yeah should be and i love the way brian plays it's he's phenomenal he is a he's a monster so he and i are from the from the same hometown and me uh brian quest love john little john roberts who's playing with stevie wonder right now um um, byron landum who's a you know great jazz cat so there's all these guys that all came out of philly great Yeah. yeah just it's good, amazing good. i don't know i didn't get any i didn't i guess i didn't drink any of the water i didn't get all the good genes that they have but. <laughs> yeah but you look good oh no you don't no i don't even have that I, no. <laughs> so, maybe i should yeah. turn off this camera yeah. so <laughs> maybe you should get dressed yeah <laughs> i didn't think uh, you were gonna let tell everybody man uh, yeah sorry uh, <laughs> yeah, all right so um so now do you do you teach do you teach privately or do you teach over Skype or anything like that? No, I yeah, I do teach privately, but then this is for German drummers or sometimes people from Switzerland or Austria come over but I've never, you know, I have many people asking me about Skype lessons but mm-hmm. I don't really feel like no, I don't really feel like doing it because I don't want to spend too much time away from being creative. Sure. That makes sense. So yeah, so it's cool for me to teach like once a week for mm-hmm. two hours. <laughs> right. But I, I try not to teach too much. I uh, It's funny because I, I say this and I feel like people give me shit about it a lot, but I'm not big on teaching individual lessons. I like doing master classes and I like having yeah, like cool. clinics and seminars, but I'm not big on like the one-on-one lessons and a lot of people do it just to make the extra bread and i feel like they're they do a disservice to their students because they're not real they're like i'm not really into teaching i'm just doing it because i don't have a gig right you know so i just i'm not really big into teaching myself and you know one-on-one private lessons uh i have a couple students that have been with me for years but you know i'm like does that make me a bad a bad drummer you know because i don't want to teach privately no about a bad teacher right and, well, that's why yeah. I don't. That's why I don't do it though, because I don't think yeah. that I don't think that I'm that good at it. You know, like 
Well, it depends. I but think it just is the same. If you don't enjoy doing that, you're not be you're not going to be really good. You're not going to be really concerned about it. So that's why I only teach maybe two or three lessons a week because then I enjoy doing it. But if right. I do, you know, start teaching more, I don't know. You know, I, I want to practice. I want to be creative, and I don't want to teach too much. Yeah. Right. And that, you know, that's how I feel. Like teaching a couple of lessons a week is cool. I, I don't want sixty yeah. students, and you know. No. Right. But I know people who enjoy doing that and they're really good at it because yeah. they enjoy it. Yeah. Mike Johnston is one of the guys. He, that's his deal. He loves it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. and he, he's and a really he good teacher and he's very successful at it. So, yeah. Yeah. So right. That's cool. I agree. So, if people want to go and one, if they want to get the book, which I strongly uh, encourage everyone to do, if they want to find out more information about you, where should they go? Well, I have a homepage, which is, which is yostnickel.com. Mm hmm. Um, obviously I'm, you know, social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all, all that stuff. But my homepage is probably the best way to find out about me. Uh, or YouTube, you, my YouTube channel. Okay. You can just put in my name and then it, it, it'll show up. Um, yeah. And if you want to buy the book, it's alfred.com. And they, they offer several buying options. Cool. Oh, you just write me an email and I send you a signed copy. There you go. I, there you go. So that's really and then, and the, yeah, you got to pay for the shipping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and also, we're gonna we're giving away a couple copies of the book. So if you're interested in trying to win a book, go to drummersresource.com forward slash groove and you can enter to win that. And uh, if you're not one of the lucky winners, then definitely head over to alfred.com and get the book or hit up Yost on his website and you can have it shipped over with his personal, with his personal, uh, autograph on it as well. So, so cool, man. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking all the time. I'm glad we finally got this hooked up. Yeah, me too. And, uh, yeah. And I'll be talking to you soon. And when you're in the States, man, let me know. Cause I definitely want to come check some stuff out. If not, I'll probably, I'll probably end up seeing you at NAMM in January. So. I will, I will definitely let you know. And uh, thanks for, you know, when we started an hour ago, I was like, oh, I hope this doesn't take too long because I was tired, but I actually enjoyed it, man. Well, thank I you. I, I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> You're like, I almost blew you off, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. Yos, thank okay. you. Thank you very much. And, uh, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. So there you have it, drummer and comedian extraordinaire, Yost Nickel. If you're interested in learning more about Yost, check out yostnickel.com. And everything that we talked about in the podcast, there's show notes, and you can find those at drummersresource.com forward slash session 99. Also, if you want to try to win his book, Groove Book, go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 99. I'll have the link on there. Or you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash Groove. Also, be sure to check out the 100th episode with blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to tell you who it is, but it's a great interview. And also, there's going to be a way for you to win some really, really cool stuff from Aquarian and from uh, some of my other endorsement companies, some drumsticks and different things. So check that out. That'll be coming out next Monday. And check me out on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash drummers resource on Instagram at drummers resource and on Twitter at drummers are source. And until the next podcast, the 100th episode, uh, thank you so much for listening. Keep drumming and I'll be talking to you soon. Peace.